7.02. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 7.02 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. Coming up on the show today, Gauteng Crime Stats release. The head of the Hawks gives an update on the unit's work. The President and Minister Pravin Gordon speak about problems at the country's ports. The state's main witness against Judge Nkolomotata reacts to the decision to impeach him. We'll look ahead to the Saab rates announcement later today. And our book of the week is Ramapocalypse Now from Zapiro. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. That lead story in Eyewitness News, the President and Pravin Gordon are at the Richards Bay port. They've just arrived. They're getting a tour around there. They're being shown what the problems are. I, I know that I repeatedly say this when the President goes out and has a look at Infoleni, the Val, or if he goes out to have a look at the problems at the ports. Do you think there's value in this? A lot of people want the President to go out and have a look. I would much rather he was out having a look at various things that are going on in the country than sitting in an ivory tower in, in the Union buildings. So I think it is useful for him to go out. Not sure if doing it under the full glare of the media necessarily adds, adds value. Uh, interestingly, last night, the President and the Minister, Pravin Gordon were at the port in Durban where we know that there is a huge backlog at the moment but they were there to unveil a new terminal it's the Nelson Mandela cruise terminal in Durban Uh, it's been the result of a public-private partnership with MSC the cruise company the Mediterranean cruise company who teamed up with Transnet a few years ago to design and build and operate this new depot at the Durban port ironically of course that came on the back of comments made by Minister Javier about how the private sector is trying to collapse the government. We know the president's spokesperson got hold of us yesterday on the show and came on to explain, no, that's not what she was saying. Um, But interesting because you see an incredible public-private partnership like that and and what it can do and how it can help the government. But we will have a look at what the president is doing in Richards Bay a bit later on. Let's start first with the Gauteng Police Commissioner, Lieutenant General Elias Mabuela, briefing the media on the province's crime stats for the second quarter of the 2023-24 financial year. He's been giving a report focusing largely on Gauteng's crime stats. We did have Becky Kele releasing the nation's crime stats last week. Alpha Ramoshwana, EWN reporter, having listened to that briefing for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Tell us what the Gauteng Police Commissioner has been saying. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, Houghton Police Commissioner Elias Mawela has told the Community Safety uh, uh, Portfolio Committee here at the provincial legislature today that crime has reduced by 2.6% in Gauteng in the period of September, July and September of 2023 in this province. However, rape, you know, remains uh, a scourge on the side of uh, a thorn on the side of you know the, the the province as it has also went down by about 7.4 percent however murder is still on the increase one thing that the provincial legislature has said today is that they remain concerned that the crime prevention wardens that were launched by uh, a premier lisuzi a few months ago are not don't seem to be doing the job they are saying that they are not being utilized for what they should be being utilized for in fact uh, the chairperson bandila masuku says he's seen some of the um, crime prevention wardens deployed at police stations signing affidavits and doing things or the jobs of the police and not actually being on the ground. 
and, you know, helping out um, reduce contact-related crimes in the province. So we are saying that uh, while they've noted the overall decrease of 2.6% in crime in the province, the crime prevention wardens are not being utilized accordingly, and they are saying should they be utilized properly, they would have seen a much significant drop in the, uh, in the crime stats in the province. But let's take a listen to what uh, Elias Mawela says the police are going to do to ensure that they continue reducing the overall crime rate in the province. Our response to, to the crime categories that have increased during the quarter under review is to heighten the crime-fighting efforts over and above the daily activities as well as our weekly operation Chanel. We must sustain the gains. We have therefore increased the frequency and the tempo of our crime prevention and combating operations by increasing police visibility through the blue light patrols, static deployments of rapid response vehicles at identified strategic roads, mounting of ad hoc and roving roadblocks according to the developed weekly operational metrics at identified national and provincial roads that are connecting Gauteng with its neighboring provinces. Alpha, very interesting what you said about the crime wardens. There's been some consternation around these Amapanyaza, whether or not they are legally appointed, what their rights are. Do you get the sense from the police, from Lieutenant General Elias Mawela, um, that, that, that this is going to have longevity, that, that, that they're going to be able to, to stick around? Well, he does say that they've brought some sort of relief to, you know, police stations in Joburg that are already uh, facing capacity issues. In fact, he says uh, they are helping out on the ground with uh, addressing and uh, attending to contact-related crimes. However, that seems to be uh, a lack of coordination between the SAPS and uh, the housing crime prevention wardens, because as we are hearing, uh, uh, the provincial legislature is saying that they are not being used for what they're supposed to be used for. So it seems like there are no guidelines that guide police and the crime prevention wardens on how to work together to address crime in the province. Because I do remember when the Premier launched this, um, this program, he did say that these people will be strictly on the ground not to be seen at police stations. And it's sort of concerning how now they're being seen in police stations signing affidavits when in fact they're supposed to be on the ground uh, fighting crime, making sure that, uh, you know, street crimes uh, and robberies are addressed in, 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 in the province. Alpha, thank you very much. Alpha Ramoshwana, EWN reporter, giving us a, a report there on what the Gauteng Police Commissioner, Lieutenant General Elias Mawela, has been saying about the crime stats for the second quarter of this year. At the same time, the head of the Directorate for Priority Crime Investigation, otherwise known as the Hawks, Lieutenant General Doctor Advocate, uh, all of the titles above, Godfrey Labia, he's been giving an update as well, taking stock of milestones achieved during the second quarter of the financial year. So also that same period of time uh, and have a listen to what Godfrey Lubia has been saying about what the Hawks have been doing. The top five uh, national priority offenses that contributed a high number of arrests uh, are 173 for fraud, uh, 172 for precious metals and diamonds, 52 for narcotics and 48 for cash in transit uh, robberies while 37 is for corruption. During this arrest the DPCI also seized various exhibits including precious metals and diamonds 
endangered species, vehicles, cash, firearms, ammunition, counterfeit goods, explosives, as well as uh, electronic devices worth 92,407,269 rands. In terms of crime categories relating to convictions, out of uh, the 244, fraud contributed to uh, the highest number, which is 75, which is made of uh, 62 South Africans, six foreign nationals, and seven companies. The second is the precious metals and diamond, which is uh, made of uh, 51 accused persons. In terms of the Prevention of Organized Crime Act, which is also called POCA, a total number of 30 accused persons and two companies were convicted on a pattern of racketeering activity and money laundering. So that is the head of the Hawks, Godfrey Labia, Dr. Advocate Godfrey Labia, giving us an update there on what the Hawks have been doing. Remember that in many of the high-profile cases, the NPA is still very much reliant on the Hawks uh, to build the cases that they take to court because we still don't have investigative capacity within the investigating directorate. So uh, it's interesting to hear what Godfrey Labia and his team have been busy with and some of the milestones achieved there. Does that give you some satisfaction, some solace uh, in light of the fact that we we haven't yet seen convictions in state capture cases. We know that often there's too much focus on state capture cases when so many other things are happening as well. And when you hear the crime stats, when you hear Godfrey Libya speak, does that give you comfort that police are, are active, that they are doing things, that things are happening? Or is it just an, an, an empty kind of promise for you? 702. Let's walk the talk. 12.20 on the Midday Report. The Minister of Labour, Tulas Ngesi, has just started a media briefing. He's briefing the media on the latest processes and actions that he's taken to set the agreement aside since the outbreak of the story by the media in December last year. All of this, of course, is to do with the allegations made by the CEO of Tuja Holdings, Mtunzi Mduaba, about the fact that some ministers uh, allegedly tried to uh, get a bribe implicated in the 500 million rand scandal involving Tuja and the UIF's 750,000 rand jobs deal. The Sunday World reporting that three ministers demanded 10% of the 5 billion rand in the deal. Also so the ANC Secretary General, Fakile Mbalula, denies this as well. Tulas Ngesi also denying it. Let's have a listen to what he is saying right now. I was acting in the place of uh, DJ Lamad. Wrote and alerted Mr. Mdwaba to the fact that whereas the agreement was signed, it did not comply with the applicable law. In terms of section 54.2, of the Public Finance Management Act of 1999, what we call the PFMA, has amended, read with the National Treasury Practice Note on the applications under Section 54 of the PFMA by the public entities, which is dated 13th, it's 13th July 2006. Such an agreement needed to be approved by the Minister of Employment and Labor and Minister of Finance. 
want to emphasize, we're talking about section 54, subsection 2 of the PFMA. You can read it for yourself. Having not been so approved, Advocate Yawa brought or brought to Mr. Mdoba attention, to his attention that the agreement is illegal and invalid. I heard of this agreement only through the media reports. The media raised several concerns about the press or about the process, followed by the capacity of Tuja to deliver on the signed agreement. And after considering the media reports and calls by, amongst others, Kusatu, and following initial probing, I established that approvals by the UIF governing processes, including the Interim Labor Activation Program National Adjudication Committee, they were not obtained and consequently instructed the accounting officer in January, early in January 2023, to suspend the implementation of the project and to stop any I mean, contemplated payments to Tuja. Today, as the acting authority of Dell, I signed my affidavit and we are filing a court application to set this agreement aside. Let me repeat this. Today, acting as the executive authority of the Department of Employment and Labor, I signed my affidavit and we are filing a court application to set this agreement aside. Let me go to Mr. Mtunzim Doba's allegations. Mr. Mtoba's allegations of seeking bribes against myself and others are false and unsupported by any actual evidence. Let me be clear, I categorically deny the recent allegations of corruption. You must ask why Mdwaba waited nearly a year to come up with these allegations. Mdwaba will now have to prove these allegations in a court of law. So, Labour Minister Tulas Nlesi, adamant there, that may go down as a very famous statement in South Africa, infamous or famous, I deny the allegations made against me of corruption. And that, of course, uh, is the allegations by the CEO of Tuja Holdings, Mtunzi Mdwaba, who claimed in the Sunday World, alleging that three ministers tried to uh, demand 10% of the 5 billion rand deal, uh, also implicating the ANC Secretary-General Fikile Mbalula as one of those implicated, also denying that he's also laid charges as well as Fikile Mbulula. So there you hear that uh, Tulas Ngaisi is now deposing to an affidavit and they are canning this deal, this project um, of with the Tuja Capital Fund project that is the, 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 the program with the Unemployment Insurance Fund. What do you think about that one? 702 Let's walk the talk. 
Let's go to the courts now. The Senzo Miura trial underway again today. Still busy with a trial within a trial. We're hearing about uh, vehicle tracking evidence again today. Khamoto Modise, EWN reporter in court for us. Khamoto, good afternoon to you. Tell us about this evidence that's being led today. Good afternoon, Mandy. So last week we had Michael Dupree. He is the CEO of a company called C-Track. And they are the company that has the, the SAPS tender to install ADL tracking systems in police vehicles. He was called by the state to come and give testimony about the ADL data that has been presented in court. So to tell the court where the car stopped, um, you know, that was being used to escort some of the accused. And so last week we saw the defense saying that they want more precise data from Dupree. They said they wanted the exact street to the exact locations. They were not accepting anything that said near this place or around that place. And so Dupree was commissioned and given um, the assignment to go home and prepare a detailed report that almost gives the points, you know, the exact points where the vehicle was moving around and where it stopped. And today he's back on the witness stand to give those details. It's a pretty lengthy report that that he's given. I mean, I walked out now while he was giving um, details from the exact day. So uh, from around the 31st of May, which is when Mugaukulela Svia was being driven around during investigations where they visited a traditional healing. They went to see other, other people. He's been going through the exact times of those trips. And, you know, so it's a, it's, it's a very detailed report that he's brought to court today. And I think we'll then see the defense cross-examine him. But, Mandy, I must mention that just before he started, um, there was a bit of a, a conversation around who should lead the evidence. And now, according to the judge, he believes because this is new evidence, uh, Advocate George Baloyi for the state should lead this evidence. But Advocate Mshololo, the uh, representative for the first accused, Mandy, rose and said no because... Dupree was actually in the middle of cross-examination by Advocate Demisi. That's where the matter should then start again. We then heard the judge uttering the words that, you know, Mshololo, do you want to run this case? Do you, wanna, uh, do you want me to recuse myself? If so, I can't do that. And he said that if you have a problem with the decision that I've made, you can take me on review. Bearing in mind, of course, that this is the second time that we are now hearing some of the evidence because this is a new judge, um, that if, if he were to recuse himself, then that would be a third time that we'd have to go through everything, right? That's right. That's right. So we, we're, not, we're hoping there will be no recusing at this stage. Um, but I think it was really interesting to hear Judge Mokhwakeng saying that he's not even afraid of going on review. He stands by the decisions that he's made and he stands by his roommate. Komoto, thank you very much. Komoto Modise, EWN reporter from the Senzo Miura trial. Interesting that Advocate Mshololo butting heads with the judge in this matter. We know that there were instances in the past with the first judge um, who is no longer hearing this matter, of course, so there's a, a new judge on it. We're still busy with a trial within a trial there. We're hearing about this vehicle evidence. All of that feeds into whether or not um, the, uh, the the alleged confession stands by one of the accused. So that's happening in the Senzo Miura 
Lewa trial. The other court matter that we are following for you is in the Randburg Magistrates Court today um, because that that, that that court matter in which uh, two people were shot, uh, one of whom was a key witness in a criminal trial uh, that was shot dead a couple of weeks ago. That matter is due to be back in court today. We know that the deceased in that matter, Setkelo Bukhle Moyo, and her partner, William Dube. Moyo was the complainant, a key star witness in a police brutality case. So that matter is supposed to be returning to court today. Uh, there are uh, suspicions that it might be thrown out because the main witness in the case was killed. So if the main witness in the case, unfortunately, is, is killed against uh, police officers accused of brutality, then that is going to have an impact. So we're waiting to see what's happening with that. 12.30, time for Eyewitness News headlines. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. 12.37 on the Midday Report. Yesterday, we heard that the Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services has recommended to the National Assembly that the suspended Western Cape Judge President, John Chlope, and retired Judge, Nkola Motata, should be removed. The ANC and the DA supporting their removal. The EFF's Posisiwe Mkwebane who herself was recently removed as the public protector, opposed this removal. Uh, so uh, let's get some reaction now to that from uh, Richard Baird, who is the man into whose house uh, Nkolo Motata crashed all those years ago. And it is many years ago. It's been a long journey in both the Chlope matter and the Motata matter. Richard Baird was the state's main witness. He was a whistleblower in this matter. He endured great uh, at a great personal cost as well. Richard, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. It has been many, many years since Judge Nkola Motata crashed into, into your wall. Uh, yesterday, we had this recommendation from the Portfolio Committee that there be uh, an impeachment, that he be removed. Uh, what is your reaction to this? Hi there, Mandy. It's been a long time since we've had a chat. I think we had a few kids and my kids have gone right to schooling. <laughs> this, is, this is a true story. Yes, correct. <laughs> I'm not trying to make, make you feel old, but Look, uh, this is a big. This is a big thing. It's been going on for a long time. There's so many different layers and angles to it. I, I don't know how much time you've got or how you want me to compress it. Well, well, it well I know that, that that you've gone through through a great deal as well um, at great personal cost. Um, but you have persisted throughout in in giving evidence, deposing to affidavits. So, so how do you feel about the fact that it seems as though we're reaching some finality? Um, well, let, let me put it this way. The most important thing is that evidence will always trump authority. So the uh, CA eventually chastised the JC for exercising authority and misusing um, evidence and excluding evidence and etc. Um, when there was evidence in the court record. Um, for example, Judge Mitter actually exercised a hit and run. There's evidence in the record of that. So he didn't know he was drunk at the time of the crash. So that's perjury. He lied in, we had a metro cop lie in the um, criminal court, saying that I had called him a drunken, you know, which I didn't. And uh, that he then persisted and in cross-examination in the tribunal, and it conflicted with his evidence, and he then brought that up again. It's like the criminal court, the tribunal just and said it's um, multiple versions. It's not true. In all the 11 years before that point in time, he had never raised so therefore, it was absolute fun. Now, unfortunately, the JSC relied on that, and that became the main mitigating factor to not hold him responsible for gross misconduct. And so he got misconduct, sort of minor um, uh, sanction, 
that was that 1.1 million rand uh, fine that he that he incurred. And um, you know, there's got to be something going on underneath all this. There's uh, there's there's something that's just not making sense. And I'll say that as a um, as somebody who, who trained at one of the big auditing firms, um, I tell you too, <laughs> I actually had to have a laugh at um, the previous public protector and her, her words. I was watching the, the live of, of the portfolio committee yesterday. Um, she, well, let's put it this way. Who's audited her qualifications? Because I think they need to be audited. That's basically as far as I'll go. Right. Um, when you have criminal sanctions and criminal um, guidelines and rules and requirements, you can't now go and say, you know, this this person's retired and, and it's his family that's going to be impacted. Absolutely no regard for victims and affected persons as a result of his false allegations and his actions. So that you know, sorry to sorry to interrupt you. Um, so so in, in in both of the cases of Motata and and Chlope, it's taken a very very long time, as I say, to get to this point. Mm. Uh, in the Chlope matter, it dates back to two thousand and eight. Um, you you have this has consumed your life very much uh, since it occurred. Are there lessons to be learned here? Because it, it does require somebody to uh, to persist. As you have in in your case, but is there is there an overhaul of the system that is required? Well, uh, I'm going to blame Irish and Scottish mix for the persistence and the stubbornness. Um, I want to highlight something that Shlopi and Matat seem to have the same advocate. So this was a game of kick the can down the road for seven years before the tribunal started coming through. From what I can see, uh, so there's you know there, there's a protection that's taken place. There's a uh, escape being held accountable, and, and that works on multiple levels, whether it's from the perpetrators or whether it's from the adjudicators um, side, it's the same game. And they seem to be working in no coordination or in, in uh, concert here. Um, yeah, the lessons are that truth will prevail. Look at the evidence. Um, I think what we also can see that in the Judicial Service Commission, there are those that are private practitioners and they work on ethics and integrity because that's how they make their income. And there are those that are on government payroll. If you look at this in the voting, you'll see that those that he must get impeached tended to be the private individuals, you know, the people in, in, in private practice, and those that said he mustn't get impeached weren't. And that's, right. you know, that's, and they could be at various mm-hmm. levels. They could be MTs for the province, they could be judges, they could be. Uh, professors at universities, whatever the case is. And it just tells you that there was some coordination of voting, right. in my view. And, and, you know, that's a worry. And that's mm-hmm. your mini small JSC that's doing that. So, you know, it's politically controlled. I think this is not a new thing. Uh, Judges Matters has made comments, if, if I remember correctly, um, and Ted Jeffries has made comments like this, various commentators. Um, so, you know, there's a concern there. Yeah. And the concern is that you shouldn't have any political interference. And I might just add that there was a, um, a person appointed as chairperson of the ad hoc disciplinary over Matata's matters, and that person had a major conflict of interest. Okay. Uh, it's the sort of thing in order to look up for. Yeah. Uh, and they our politician, we're representing advocates and clearly had an interest in the outcome in this matter. And, and that skewed it and had obviously written those positions, majority positions and report, read it out on TV when it finally came out. It, by the way, it's delayed for a year, which is completely okay. unnecessary. And there was a 
There was Richard, a, an I'm, election in between. Richard, I'm afraid we have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Richard Baird speaking to us there about uh, just reaction to this decision by the Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services uh, Committee, suggesting or recommending that the retired judge in Kuala Motata be removed. 7.02, the Midday Report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So yesterday we had uh, inflation numbers out, increasing to 5.9%, surprising a lot of people, uh, which does raise all kinds of questions when the Monetary Policy Committee meets. We are expecting an announcement this afternoon by the governor. What is going to happen? Because we know the Saab likes to keep inflation between that 3 to 6% band. Lebogang Gauchetzi is the Head of Marketing and Communication at West Bank. Lebogang, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. So it seems economists are split here over what the um, the Reserve Bank is going to do in terms of the repo rate. What are your expectations? Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Mandy. Um, you know, at this moment in time, I think the prudent thing is to really keep it uh, where it is at, at 8.25%, um, because there's so many moving parts, you know, and, and so many things are contending for the consumer's pockets. Um, so as a means to really, you know, continue that confidence because it's been flat for the past um, three announcements. I think the prudent thing to do is to keep it at 8.25% and that's my prediction for this afternoon. We see um, uh, consumers really struggling at the moment with the, the high repo rate. Uh, if, if hypothetically, of course, we were to see an increase, what kind of impact will that have in terms of vehicle, uh, home repayments, all of that? So when it comes to, I mean, it, it will have a shift, um, not, not a great one for the industry, that is the motoring industry. Um, I mean, if you consider the total cost of owning a vehicle, 46% of what goes in that amount is installment, right? And an increase in the repo rate will definitely shift the installment up. Now, if you look at an entry-level car, for instance, um, and that, let's say anything between 300 and, and 350,000, that increase, so I mean, I'm looking at a 72 month period at no deposit, no balloon. That shift, if it goes up by 0.25% um, percent or 25 basis points, is about 150 rand. Now, if you multiply that over a year, that is about at least 800 rand with the consumer's off pocket. And of course, it's not only their car, it's the house and every other debt that they pay. So, the shift in those 25 basis points might sound small, but to the consumer, it's a huge one. It really is. Lebogang, thank you so much. Uh, Lebogang Gauchetse, Head of Marketing and Communication at West Bank, speaking to us there about what we can expect this afternoon. Economists split on what the MPC is going to do. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. As I mentioned at the start of the show, President Cyril Ramaphosa and uh, Minister Praveen Gordon today in Richards Bay having a look at the port situation there. We know that there are real problems at the Richards Bay port. Also, uh, well documented the situation at the Durban port and what has been going on there. Transnet saying that it could only possibly clear that backlog at Durban by next year. And Flantla Mabaso, EWN KZN reporter, is in Richards Bay for us. And Flantla, good afternoon to you. Tell us about what the president has been seeing, what he has been doing, and what he's been saying. We're yet to speak to the president and Minister Pravin Gordon, but we do know that we are currently in a meeting with Transnet officials. We are now at the 
Ricky Richards Bay Harbor. This is where the president is going to take one of the boats and he will be following his boat here. He will be basically looking at the harbor here at the uh, Richards Bay. But he's currently speaking with transit officials, like I mentioned, looking at the various challenges that have now created, you know, that piling traffic of trucks from um, the, the Richards Bay off-ramp on the N2 highway going towards the Ultuba-Tuba um, area on the north. Now, those who know or those who are familiar with Kizera would know that it takes about 30 minutes to drive from Angini alone to Ultuba-Tuba. Um, so that's how much uh, of a, 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 you know, a, a, a long queue of trucks you have on the N2 highway. But yesterday, maybe we spoke to some drivers of eyewitnesses that been raising concerns really about safety issues. You'd recall that uh, two trucks were tossed just four months ago right in the same spot, but now it seems as though the situation keeps on increasing, although there were promises from the national government, including the transport ministry, that they'll make means that at least uh, the port is cleared so that um, you know, these trucks are able to deliver and collect goods on time, but it seems this situation has been worsened. President Cyril Ramaphosa is said to, you know, afternoon, this afternoon to give us a briefing really mainly on what was discussed at that particular meeting, but mainly the resolutions that will come out to see those trucking issues being resolved. But Transnet in a statement may said that some of these issues are caused by what they say is underinvestment, but they also blame the current inclement weather conditions for affecting them in this regard, maybe. Nflantla, thank you very much. Nflantla Mabaso, EWNKZN reporter in Richards Bay. So the president is there. Minister Pravin Gordon is there having a look at the issues. These these issues are, are, they are deep. They are fundamental. We know that there have been long-running issues at the Richards Bay port. Those long lines of trucks um, that so often are waiting to get into the port. We know at the Durban port that there's a big problem with many of the, the ships um, that have not been able to, to dock. 70,000 containers have been stuck at the terminal as well. So let's hope that by the president visiting the ports at least will expedite some of the remedies. 702 and Cape Talk. Book of the Week. It's a Thursday and on Thursdays in the Midday Report we speak to the author of a local non-fiction book and this one's a little bit different. It really is a it's a highlight on the uh, literary calendar, uh, but on the news calendar, really, because every year for as long as I can remember, Zapiro, the much-lauded cartoonist um, who uh, now works for the Daily Maverick, puts out an annual. And this year's annual is called Rum Apocalypse Now, and it's got a picture of a bent-over Cyril Ramaphosa holding up a Putin fan club uh, sign. And behind him, of course, is the shirtless Putin with uh, Parliament up in flames and everything else pretty much up in flames behind it too. So a great pleasure to welcome Zapiro, Jonathan Shapiro, to the Midday Report today. Zapiro, what, what number is this? Uh, what, what annual number is this? It is actually number 28. Gosh. Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> and, and, um, and it's remarkable because every year you go through it and it is a, a pretty much an encapsulation of the news cycle of, of the past year. And yet you still manage to find ways to, to laugh at what happens in, in this country, which often feels like a, it's a film playing out before us. Yeah, no, I mean, very much so. And I mean, I think uh, it's an apt an apt. Uh, uh, metaphor or an apt uh, analogy or whatever here that you that you're using because this of course is a parody that the cover is a parody of apocalypse now the movie and in the the, the the you know it really looks like a sort of a very kind of apocalyptic film scene 
And uh, the, the cartoon that it came from uh, in the book was was one uh, where I actually did, I hadn't even thought of the title Rome Apocalypse Now. It was just I really wanted to have this kind of apocalyptic scene. It was going to be a, Apocalypse Now. And then I suddenly realized that it's basically Cyril, you know, and his lack of leadership, his reluctance. And uh, the Putin character, Putin is saying, I love the smell of immunity in the morning because it looked as if he was going to get immunity, diplomatic immunity, to come for the BRIC summit. Of course, that changed, but the issues stayed there and, and then the cartoon morphed into the, into the cover. But yes, absolutely, we have a sort of filmic uh, selection of the most crazy things. Mean, I was listening to your, your, your show now, and I mean, there's so many of those stories, the Kombucha Chaveni one, the Mochera Coco one, the, the Chlope and Motato one, you know, the Richard's Bay Snarl Up. I mean, these are all cartoons waiting to happen I was getting moving so, so this is the thing right is people often say to me as a journalist well how do you choose what to to focus on because we we, we are spoiled for choice uh, in in this country when it comes to to the news cycle so um, there's some interesting themes in in your book and it goes from September to September that's how the the annual works one of the recurring themes that I notice of course is ESCOM and Andre Dereta. Um and and that's something that you you pick up on quite often in, in various cartoons yes i mean definitely if there's one theme that runs through so many things it, it is the escom and the power outages and the, the this euphemism that we call load shedding i mean when 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 we had the the world cup taking place in in qatar because that was a sort of about a year ago beginning of this annual um there there were those those uh, those uh, uh, diagrams that you get for the knockout stages, and I of course uh, for South Africa, I made the blackout stages. You know, stage six versus stage four, and stage seven versus stage five, whatever. And it may be potentially ending in stage eight, and and the South Africa is sitting there uh, with with a blacked out TV and a candle and listening to the radio and, and hoping you can sort of vaguely hear what's going on. Because so it it it. it becomes part of the backdrop of everything, the political stuff, the sport, the, you know, the frustration, the kind of symbol of the, I'm afraid the decay and the political decay that we are seeing. And uh, I I suppose the other thing is that there's huge international things with the, the, perhaps not quite as big as the ESCOM backdrop, but things about the the BRICS and about Putin and about uh, our kowtowing to Russia and sort of uh, all of those. There's a lot in the book about that and the and the Ukraine war, that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. So there's something that struck me um, because on uh, page 17, it's a cartoon from the 11th of November last year. So so almost a, a year ago. And yep. this is a cartoon of the NPA head Shamila Batoy uh, saying, we must act with the courage of our convictions. Convictions, yeah. 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 And then behind her is a, a, a spider-webbed Azuma cabinet senior ANC Guptas uh, speaking to the fact that there have not been convictions. And of yes, course, the, the, exactly the, a year later, we're in the same position. Yes, it's a, it's a cabinet of convictions, except there's nothing in there. And, and, and that it, there's so many of these things. I mean, uh, that that's also the kind of theme of the cartoon from the from the first well almost the first of January but the first cartoon I did in 2023 where I have Saul Ramaphosa who I've really been referring to as our most reluctant president ever um, and I mean he really doesn't seem to want to govern or to take on the ANC factions or to develop a spine or to actually do anything 
uh, he kind of is in rigor mortis most of the time, or, you know, very, very, very quiet. And or if he's saying anything, he's shocked or, if he, you know, so there he is sitting with his new, new year's resolutions and it's got all that stuff about, you know, uh, he's got to get more exercise and drink more water, but he's also got to end, end load shedding. He's going all the kind of, mm-hmm. uh, and then you get the sort of political mixed up with the personal. And then just in red, the 2022 is crossed out and 2023, it's resolutions that were exactly the same the year before, to your point. yeah. That should be easy for the 1st of January for 2024. You can just cross <laughs> it out again. One, one, of, my, one of my favorites is um, a, pot, a pothole cartoon with two potholes talking to each other saying, OMG, the transport minister has declared a war on potholes. And the other one says, relax, we've got nothing to worry about because of all the other wars that they've declared as well. Yeah, this is like, you know, like the war on crime and the war on this, the war on that. Yeah, forget it. You've got nothing to worry about. There's a, you know, there's the sort of, there's always these things, a war on this, a war on that, or even a state, remember the electricity state of disaster. I mean, I did a cartoon on that, the, the, the one on the ESCOM, the state of disaster. Yeah. And, it was, and uh, you know, it was the most bizarre thing. They, they create the disaster and then create a state of disaster trying to try and fix the disaster. And I had a dialogue to that effect, which came from an internal WhatsApp conversation at Daily Maverick. And I just asked the person who said it, can I use that verbatim? It's brilliant. And, and he agreed, yeah. Do you ever get tired of doing this? I'm, I mean, I don't really. I mean, I, I sort of think I do. And, but when I, once I sit down, I mean, you, you also referred earlier to kind of um, jokes and, and laugh at laughter and humor. The thing is, I'm, I'm not looking for that as a starting point. So all I'm looking for is to be able to say something that is surprising in a way that has a twist, that, that connects things that you don't expect to be connected because then the, the brain has a particular way of relating to it. I mean, yeah. you, I, I also heard things on your show about uh, satirists, I, I mean, other kinds of satirists, stand-up comedians. They do the same thing. Any kind of joke is about surprise. But um, but the surprise could also be something that's outrageous, makes you angry, or yeah. makes you sad, or may, just makes you think. But uh, I, I I love finding ways to do this stuff. Well, thank you for continuing to make us laugh all the time and uh, for giving us some some levity. Jonathan Shapiro Zapiro, uh, the annual is out. It's called Rum Apocalypse Now, and I think uh, Tulas Nessi on my TV screen is going to be giving you some some good fodder for the next couple of days.